0: Kiss Army, welcome to the Kiss FAQ podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. I don't think it's into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a kiss-related podcast by
1: the Lord for the board.
0: We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 191 of the Kiss FAQ podcast. I am one of your two hosts today. Julian Admin on the FAQ message board, and I'm joined by Marcus Almighty Mark. Um, How are you doing, sir? It, it may seem like a little bit of a light panel today, and hopefully a third person will show up shortly. And if not, you're just going to have to enjoy what we have to share. <laughs> Let's do a little bit of the news, and uh, Ross Radley's magic continues to astound me. I was a little bit of a doubter. I, I must admit that, you know, as much as I... And very positive about what he's doing and what he's trying to do. I was a doubter, and he continues to prove me wrong, which is wonderful. Uh, making very good progress. Come over to the FAQ. There's a posted thread. If you haven't ordered, pre ordered a deluxe or a standard edition of Magic, Kiss Chronicles 1973 to 83, you can find the link there. And of course, Ross is all over Facebook. He was on uh, the Ages of Rock podcast yesterday, a very good interview. So, obviously, classy gentleman hosts that show who are good friends of ours um and ross you know really does come across well and presents a lot of interesting information if you're not aware what his project is check that out check out the podcast he did with us and i believe he's going to be on podkist um, which, of course, is one of the gold standards of the podcasting community. So very good stuff. Don't wait. Get in there. Get your pre-order in so that it gets the book over the finish line, and Ross can just then focus on getting it out to us all in February 2019. Can't wait. Very excited. Another book, or more more appropriately, a magazine, Balish. Our good friend Alan is back with a, another perspective Effective genius work of Japanese photography. And this one's going to be called The Originals Plus One. And it's a vintage photograph from, I believe it's the Shinko Music Archives in Japan that he's able to license. 124 pages. He's expecting it to be out in September. Uh, you can go to kissinjapan.com for more information about that one. And, and of course, find the Kiss in Japan Facebook group. Absolutely stunning what he did with the previous two and the book. Um, amazing stuff so if you like to see previously unseen photos particularly from japan then alan is the one who can scratch that itch for you and since we're talking about books i gotta do it it's completely non kiss related but i've just published leopard tracks 1978 to 88 that's the first volume if you think of the kiss on tour series that i've done it is a collection of um, detailed notes about the touring of Def Leppard during that period set lists newspaper reviews. So if you think uh, that music critics only hated kiss, no, (laughs) (laughs) they write the same shit about every band. Basically. I think they probably got boilerplate. So that's just come out. It's up in hardcover. And of course the paperback I did make immediately available as well. Um, yeah not that much price difference but uh any recent purchases mark for you because i bought no ah. kiss stuff i did actually i did buy some stuff yesterday which i'm slowly watching but uh nothing official or nothing collector worthy
2: well um i i did and this might be a surprise to some people because it's a cd purchase first of all and i like to be a completist and for some reason though in my remaster series that came out on CD. There were two of them that I had never gotten for a long time. And finally, the other day when I went to the record store, they ironically had both of them in there. And you're going to think, well, really, you never had these? And yeah, I, I never had these for some reason on CD in my collection. And I finally got them. And one was the Dress to Kill I finally got. I never had this one. I, I <laughs> Out of all the ones that I've had, I never had it because before I had a, a I bought one of those Uh, five pack ones where they had like five different albums in one little box there. And it had uh, the first album. It had this one and it had um destroyer and it had the greatest hits one. And there was like two greatest hits CDs in there. And, you know, it was just one of those little cardboard, you know, miniature kind of album sleeve versions of it. And it had this, so I never ended up buying the actual proper one like this. Right. So, I finally got that.
0: Open that up. And... What color is the CD? Because that always bugs me. I remember the original one I had, in, I think, in England was black. Okay. And yeah. the American one was white. So some sometimes they're <laughs> white, sometimes they're black.
2: And it's funny that you bring that up because <clears throat> I looked at this, and this is the U.S. release of it, which is funny that I bought it in Canada. And then the other one that I bought was Crazy Nights. I finally got this.
0: Good lad. On, That'll give you hours and either. hours of pleasure.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and like I said, I've always loved this album to begin with anyways, because I've, you know, Turn On The Night is like one of my favorite songs. And the funny thing about this, <clears throat> pardon me, and and when I noticed this, a little like tink went in my head, and I was like, no, no, fight the urge, fight the urge, because I noticed on the back that I don't know if you can see that, but it says Made in Germany
0: on there. Is that a sticker?
2: Yeah, it's okay. a sticker on it, and and also if you look at the information it is, it is also a German release that has the same catalog number, everything I checked it. So it is the actual German one, and if you look at the information on the disk itself, it has the D- B-I-E-M information, like all their kind of registering stuff that they have.
0: But no alternate logo. No, no. Of course, they do. They do make things for export. What I find interesting now is, back when Best Buy still sold CDs, you'd go in and you'd find CDs that were manufactured in Mexico, Argentina, and Brazil. So it, it's, I think is you know, the international community these days is wherever it's cheaper, you know.
2: But the funny thing was when I when I saw this, that little thing that went in my head was like, do I have to now go and collect all the German CDs now? Because I realized. That I also had a Paul Stanley solo that was German. I also had I think it was another one. I think it might have even been um let me think. I think it might have been that I have a yeah, a dynasty that's German as well. So now, you know, the brain is doing that little battle now that I have with like, should I complete it and get the German ones? I don't know. I I don't know if it's worth doing that. But, you know, it's bad enough I have like, you know, nine versions of, you know, uh, Asylum and all these other albums on vinyl. So I don't know if I want to go down that path now on um, on CD. And I've already, as you know, started my cassette phase now again, too. So I'm like, oh, boy, what am I getting myself into? So
0: Good. I have about 400 cassettes to get rid of um that's that's my next thing to to start unloading Um problem is is the majority of my cassettes are actually those freaking black label black spine 85 reissues but because they have big window little window round window square window clear tape uh polygram underlined which is the post 1990 logo the polygram with stars yeah jillian you are a loser um (laughs) No, well, no one in their right mind is gonna try and build it. Well, I've got to have a complete set of 85 tapes with the polygram cassette media <laughs> that actually had the, the nice printed logos. Those are the earlier ones, which were used in the early 80s. So weird shit, but I'm 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 a complete idiot. I, I admit it.
2: Well, I mean, I I understand totally. I mean, like like I said, I have some of my cassettes now that I've gotten. Like got like like air, I have like like I'm starting to find for some reason. The Best Buy series release cassettes now from Bowie, which I'm like, it's bad enough. I collected all those ones as I could on vinyl. Now I'm looking for them on cassette. Like, what's going on with me? Like, what am I, why am I doing this to myself, you know?
0: Yep. I, I, I buy cassettes, you know, recently some of the stuff, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but since there's only two of us here today, you know, uh, get, get cut us some slack. But I do collect the original issues of, you know, certain cassettes. So I've been looking mm-hmm. for the and on Carrera on my cassettes, uh, just so I can do a transfer off my deck here, and, you know, better than a uh, vinyl rip.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Rat, the EP on Time Coast, yeah. I managed to find some copies of. Uh, twists' his sister under the blade on secret and obviously rough cuts as well those first two English releases uh, one of which is a di- completely different mix and was later um, re-released in I think 85 84 85 whatever um, you know I, I like it better sounds better and, yeah you know there's great white stuff that was out independently before it was then reissued uh, through EMI. Just dorky stuff, and of course Motley Crue's "Leather" cassette. Yeah, of course, um, which was is my all-time favorite rip, and the one version of the album that I listen to. So, um, all right. So, where are we? I I think it's um, a hot topic for today, and it's one of the ones being discussed a lot on the message board, and on Facebook and elsewhere. You and I, and I think Lonnie, did an episode 163 for people who want to go back and watch it. Vinnie Vincent Unplugged. The question that we asked in February right after the expo in Atlanta was, Mm. you know, what sort of set would we like were Vinnie to unplug? And back then it was a a concept that Vinnie might. He'd just been up on stage at the Atlanta Expo, had performed um, a million-to-one tears, Back on the streets, and he'd done a mm-hmm. little bit privately during uh, the meets as well. I think he only did a million to one that I saw a video from. But it was a very interesting prospect. And now he has announced, you know, Vinnie Vincent at the guest house in at Graceland in Memphis, December the 7th. He'll play for approximately 90 minutes. Um, the acoustic performance will be married with songs and stories. So he'll be talking about these songs in between. Robert Fleischman will appear as a special guest. And, you know, in the FAQ there, he's, you know, he mentions a million to one tears back on the streets that time of year. I still love you. Other songs that he wrote and whatnot. You know, what's your take on this? It's something that we kind of had a fantasy topic about now. looks like it's going to become reality. What's your initial take on what Vinny's going to do? And then I'll uh, come in with my opinions.
2: Um. Well, I'm actually kind of surprised because having – seeing what has transpired over the last couple of months, um, I wasn't entirely sure he was going to actually go forward with any kind of performances. I'm I'm happy that he is because I am one of these people who was curious to see what the future held musically for him. So the fact that he's actually going to go ahead and do this now, I'm interested. I mean, you know, obviously I, I can't make it down there to see it in person, but I'm more than certain that there'll be um, you know, tons and tons of uh, feedback about it. I don't know how much uh, filming will be done because I don't think that'll be allowed, but I know people who will attend will obviously speak about it. So um, feedback in that way, I'm sure we'll get, but you know, I, I, I am curious to see what he's going to perform because you have so many different opinions about the matter. Some people don't believe that he has any skill left that, it's all a bunch of hoopla that he's been that he's been practicing eight hours a day and all this stuff other people think that he's it's going to be a fantastic performance based on what they saw in atlanta so i think that we're going to get something similar to what he did in atlanta you know kind of very laid-back melancholy kind of performance of the songs maybe maybe the songs might not, not even come across in a way that we might be expecting maybe he might do a complete rewrite of some stuff maybe he'll arrange it differently to suit his voice or who knows i mean but but the main thing is it's 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 it's, it's, it's a curiosity i'll admit but i want to see what he's thinking in his mind like what 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 kind of vision he has for these songs now that's what i'm really interested in what to him is the you know 2018 version of these songs like a million to one what does he foresee and that's what i'm curious to hear you know about
0: yeah it's the 30th anniversary since all systems go you know i would be very interested to hear acoustic takes of love kills that time of year some of the Mm -hmm. other songs on there that are a little bit more mellow um some of the energetic ones you know, I, I think some of the speed bumps Vinny has encountered in recent months, a couple of appearances aren't happening that were planned to happen. That is part of life. Things don't quite work out for one reason or another. But I'm very interested by this. The thing in, in Atlanta wet my appetite. It it seemed like a very impromptu, um, kind of unstructured, maybe ill-considered attempt in Atlanta. You know, he had the guitar out. He played some chords. He, he definitely had some idea what he was doing. But I think given more time to bring a concept to fruition, to mm-hmm. rehearse it, <laughs> to have an auto cue down in front, maybe a bullet points of uh, things to remember to talk about with the songs, could be very interesting. He's seen Gene do it. And, well, let, let's not say that Gene's actually done <laughs> very much with his songs and stories. He's used it as a vehicle to talk more mm-hmm. than a performance plus songs and stories so if you think of vh1 storytellers i think it's a completely valid thing for any artist especially someone like Vinny, who's so much a you know a bit of an enigma so i'm certainly very willing to put some of the drama of recent months behind me more as i remain a fan of his music i continue to enjoy those albums, those songs that he wrote. Robert Fleischman is a special guest. Well, it was a magical moment, and you can go on YouTube and, you know, watch Mike Brun's video, because is some of the best that was shot that day. The magic was there. Can it be recaptured in a more structured thing? No, we probably had that one moment that was particularly special that didn't seem to be coordinated or planned but if he's up on stage, it's a small venue. It it looks absolutely awesome. And yeah, Mm -hmm. let me just get it straight out of the way here. I've already bought a ticket. I have booked my flies and I booked my hotel. I hope it, I certainly have a a financial interest in it happening, (laughs) but uh, you know, again, it, it is everything that I'm talking about is important to me as a KISS fan these days. It's a special memory. It's an event. It's something unusual. It's something different. It's not the same, you know, Sunday night I'm going to see Ace. Well, you can yeah. got to guess what's going to happen there. <laughs> Monday, Monday night I'm going to go see Ace again. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty similar to the night before. But <laughs> Vinnie Vincent getting up on stage and doing a full acoustic set, before that he will only have done he, – he's going to appear at the Gathering in October and hopefully get up on stage with four by fate and perform a couple of songs. That's not a Vinnie Vincent concert. That's not a Vinnie Vincent performance that Mm -hmm. is up on stage with someone else. The thing in Atlanta wasn't a Vinnie Vincent performance. That was a, you know,
2: impromptu performance.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm sure they planned it out because bill temple was there, you know, with a guitar and everything and they were set up for it, but a full 90 minute show with, um, the songs and stories, you know, every, everyone's going to be different. And Memphis is a little bit tough to get to for me from San Francisco. There's no direct flights, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. That's
2: dedication. I mean, and and that's it. I mean, obviously it's that important to you as a fan that you're going to be willing to go out and do that. Because I mean, I had seen your posts about the struggles of the non-direct flight to there so obviously if it, if it wasn't important to you I don't think you would have went through nearly as much trouble to get <laughs> to, to get over there to see it so you know I think a lot of people are in the same boat yes I, I see that we're in the same mind frame today with that so um, yeah I, I'm, I'm excited for you because I know that this is something that since we start, started talking about it back at that episode that you were kind of hoping would happen. And I think you even said in that episode yourself that if that did happen, that you would go and see it,
0: right? Yeah, so. you, you know, everything that happens in life to me, it's like, what what can we learn from things that happen? What How can we move on? Does something someone does necessarily make you stop being a fan of their music? Or were we fans of Vinnie Vincent's music before he returned? In all those years that there was silence and maybe just news reports here and there of, you know, more salacious kind of occurrences or events, which he really didn't have the ability to shape, not wanting to be in the public eye. Well, yes and no. You know, everyone's got their own. Um, mine is that it really is about the music. It really is about the things that I've missed as a Kiss fan during the 30-plus years. All of the events that I was not able to attend, all of the things I decided not to attend, that now I'm almost adamant that I'm not going to miss one of these special occasions because so many other Kiss fans have seen Vinny in full mm-hmm. concert in 86, 87, or 88 Um And I didn't. I've got that, basically, that one Toronto video is watchable. So I don't want to miss it. And to each their own. I mean, some people won't go. There's only 450 seats, for God's sake. So it's small. (laughs) Am I going to do the meet and greet? No, I've met Vinny now i don't need to do mm-hmm. that again so i don't care about posters guitar picks and all that if there's a special event t-shirt i might get one but i don't wear these t-shirts a heck of a lot and it won't be you know because i don't want to support them it's just that i'm not interested in it i might mm-hmm. buy one and give it away on the show who knows but i i look forward to come on graceland elvis that's also <laughs> for, for me that's another you know kind of major win so
2: exactly yeah i mean I I find it very interesting that he chose that as a uh, selection place to do the show. So what did you think? Were you you surprised that he chose Graceland to do this?
0: Yeah, very. Um, But I I totally get why he might. Hold on one second. I got something Mm -hmm. buzzing behind me. Still love it loud?
1: So do we. Rockin' Pod returns to Nashville on Saturday, August 25th. Over 25 rock podcasts from all over North America recording on-site. Vinyl and memorabilia dealers selling the best in rock merchandise. And awesome rock musicians and personalities participating in signing sessions and on-stage panel discussions throughout the day. Special guests include current and former members of Corn, Kiss, Angel, Winger, Loudness, Accept, Bang. Club, School of Rock Nashville and School of Rock Franklin, a DBG Productions event.
0: It's the fan. It's the damn fan that I didn't get around to fixing properly. I'm not even going to bother editing that out. So sorry. That is the reality of life. Um. So so Graceland, yeah. I thought it, it's cool. I don't know what the connection is. I guess we have to wait for the stories. You know, maybe to hear. About yeah. Vinny's relationship with Elvis as a musician, you know, maybe what that inspired. Maybe it's just that it has a nice connection with, uh, you know, rock and roll. And, you know, come on, Elvis as a showman. Who, who knows? That's what I'd be interested in finding out and look forward to finding out.
2: And didn't Elvis do a sort of comeback show similar in style 60, where he was just 68 him?
0: 68 comeback special Got yeah. video right here, you know.
2: Just so. on acoustic guitar and him with the audience around him kind of deal. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't. I don't remember the top of my head. It, him and it's just the image of him in leather with the big yeah. red letters of Elvis behind him. Um, it, it's a fucking kick-ass video. If you yeah. don't own it, watch it. I've got a couple of Elvis videos, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of mandatory. Exactly. All right. So so that's kind of just the the word on you know, Vinny unplugged. We're gonna have to wait and find out more. You can go to vinnyvincentlive.com. He's just brought up um, Vinnie Vincent Live on Facebook as well. I don't know how much interaction there will be with Vinny directly. Probably not a whole lot. Who knows? Um, but you can get your news there. And, you know, again, we just report the news. I've explained why I'm interested. Other people may not be. doesn't matter. There's no right answer but I, I think it's going to be interesting and certainly look forward to it taking place and doing a podcast episode about afterwards. All
2: mm-hmm.
0: All right, Definitely. so let's get into it, uh, you know, a little bit more of a topic. Actually, I did want to ask you how things going with Project Gemini because you have been busy. We haven't seen you for a few weeks because you've been busy working on your new album. Where are you up to with that?
2: Yeah, well, um, right in the midst of doing the guitar solos, which are the actual last things that I do before I start doing my mixing. Um actually right when I'm done doing the guitar soloing, I do what's kind of called a mop up where I go through all the songs I've done, uh listen to them top to bottom, you know, get rid of any little noises here and there that might be on the tracks, you know, a chair squeak here or whatever a cough there, get rid of it and make sure it's all, you know, nice and ready to be mixed. Um but the solos are going good. Um just like with everything, I find that when I'm away from something for a little while, The minute I get back into it, it takes you know a day or two to get the gears rolling, and now I'm in full fast forward mode. It's going very well. I'm on the third song, so I got about six more to do. Then I got to do the cover songs. The cover songs are going to be obviously a little bit easier because you already have something kind of to like like a guide. Not to say I'm going to do everything note for note, but there at least is something there to kind of guide you with it, right? You, so you,
0: you have a structure and a, me- a basic <laughs> melody that you can yeah. either parallel slightly, or you know at least it's a guide for where you need to go.
2: Exactly. So those make it a bit simpler. So, but everything's going really well. Um, what I'm trying to do, and I think I'm going to do it, is when I'm about halfway through the mixing, I am going to select one song. release early this is this is kind of like my um like inspiration how they used to do stuff back in the 80s like i remember when maiden released run to the hills like a month before the album came out so i'm going to try to put out a single from the album ahead of time again for people to listen to so i'm really looking forward to that because i'm actually having a bit of a hard time trying to pick which one i'm really happy with all the songs this time and i think they're all strong um, but some some of them are more likely than others because I don't think I've ever heard of a single that's 11 minutes long that's released. So I'll probably have to keep that one for album only and uh, just focus on the ones that are under seven minutes. So um, yeah, so it's going really good. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very happy with the amount of support I've been getting. Lots of people have been following my comments and my uh, little posts I've been putting in regards to the process of this. So Thanks, everybody, again. I really appreciate it. And uh, look for some new things to come up very soon, some new T-shirt designs and some other interesting things that will be available as well right around the time when I might be releasing the first single. So thanks again.
0: And uh, to follow that will be the Project Gemini DVD, the making of.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, yeah.
0: as someone who obviously consumes music, it's always fun to watch someone going through the creative processes and you know that are involved with it. That's why I always ask you about this stuff. It may not be directly Kiss related other than you being a Kiss fan as well but I, I just find the the process very interesting to talk to someone as they're going through it whether it's you know this actual creation process or you know the packaging up the pressing of the vinyl all that side of stuff for all yeah, of us well, who hold a record you know here's a little bit more about what goes into it so uh, it's kind of educational
2: and this time though there is a little bit of a Kiss connection because one of the three covers that I'm doing on the for the, for the record is an actual Kiss song so
0: Yay. So you'll you'll join a exclusive club by doing a (laughs) kiss cover. All right. So let's get to your topic, because, uh, you know, we haven't seen you for a while. What do you want to talk about today?
2: Okay, so I was thinking about this kind of long and hard. Now, this I'm not sure if you would consider this a topic, but I'm going to tell you what I was thinking about. And then I want to get your feedback on this to see if you think I'm completely nuts or if you think this is viable in a sense. I was thinking a lot about the upcoming 2019 tour. Now, what I was thinking about in this regard, though, is I, I can't help but feel that them going out to do just a concert is just not going to be special enough to me, I think. I think when, you're, when a band like KISS is going to call it a day and say bye-bye and ride off into the sunset... I think they want to make it memorable. They're just, like, they're just that kind of band, I feel, that they want to, you know, put that kind of impact. I mean, look at Gene when they did the first reunion tour. He couldn't help but say, you know, we're going to go out there and show every band how the big boys do it. So I'm guessing that that mentality is going to be there for this as well. So I put down a couple of notes, like jot point forms, of what I think might be of interest to make this more than just just another tour. You know, like I put down here, like this should be more like a specialty show and not a concert. Put no opening act. Now, hear me out on this. No opening act, but do different sections of their career throughout the show. Now, no huge Tiger Stadium or anything like that. This should be relegated to something like larger theaters, something smaller, slightly more intimate, and they should do they they should have a lot of like multimedia like a lot of different screens and do the show in stages like do a 73 to 77 portion of the concert during that show part you bring out Ace and have him perform some of the songs with them and have multimedia in between where they can t- talk about portions of their career and show different eras of stuff of what like different things that happened during that era and that'll also i think help and saving Paul's voice. If they have these kind of things happening in between, he's not constantly doing his preaching to the audience all the time. He's not constantly having to sing all the time. It'll break it up a bit. And, you know, if you do it in this way where it's like 73 to 77, you bring out Ace. If you can convince Peter to come out to maybe do a little bit of something during that period to bring him out, do a 78 to 82 section of the show where you can bring out maybe even Vinny if they can convince him somehow to do it, right? Do an 83 to 88, <clears throat> excuse me, 83 to 88, where they can do a special video tribute to Mark St. John and Eric Carr as well during that portion of the show. Right. And then obviously the, the later part after where we can have, you know, Bruce Kula come in as well for the time when he was in the band. And also during these video things, use the video segments to maybe have it so that when the video is showing, they can change up the set a bit and make like mock smaller versions of different stages like when they do some of the stuff from the mid 80s they can make like a miniaturized version of those lightning bolt staircases that they can wheel out and put out to kind of give it like that asylum look for a couple of songs and have bruce come out and play or when they did some of the earlier stuff they can have like a miniaturized version of those lighted steps like they did in the alive two era kind of stuff you know what i mean like just use that kind of media so that they can darken the stage go out and change the set while that's happening, and people will still have something constantly to be entertained with at the same time while that's going on, right? And I'm, I was thinking about this mainly because if they're going to do such a long tour, they have to think of a way to preserve Paul. I mean, he's very important to the show. He's a main singer of the band. And if they can do these kind of things where they can have um, different segments done, different people come out as guests as well, Then it makes it more than just another concert with a band saying bye bye. This is now a full kind of show. It's almost like a, you know, like a sort of like a Broadway show almost, where they have something more to offer than just a straight concert. Do you think I'm nuts, or what?
0: I'm very concerned. the The logistics are absolutely horrendous. In terms of where touring has generally been going the past few years, particularly with a band like Kiss, Mm -hmm. um, we've seen Kiss's stages become more and more ho-hum. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. been a deliberate ruse, make things less interesting, make it less appealing, cheaper because it's cheaper to take on the road and it always gives them that final hoo-ha of when they do go out to do something marginally better and for people to be really, Oh great. It's fantastic where it's probably (laughs) not, but compared to what you've seen for the past decade, um, it might well be. Uh, Another concern is splitting it up into segments, introduces into the equation so many choreographical challenges that, On the one hand, Kiss is a paint by numbers band. Every cue, every, you know, nearly every rap, come on, I mean, is scripted or at least, um, kind of ballpark, you know. Yeah. Again, paint by numbers. There's that one spot, you know, Paul will be standing here when concussions, blah, 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 go off. Uh, your lights are all the same, your background screens. It's, it's very, planned and 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 staged so mm-hmm. introducing things like having different segments of a show to me doesn't seem realistic in the sense that the cost and the logistics of executing it would just become i can just imagine i'm trying to do what rush did and, and and rush at least it had the humor part with theirs that <laughs> kiss lacks completely But, you know, I would almost prefer when we talk about the end is to do something similar to what you're talking about, but have the elements there as one stage set. So there are no stage, you know, um, changeovers. Mm -hmm. They use the big ass technical or video screen for that purpose or backdrops a la Iron Maiden, which Mm -hmm. haven't done that band any harm, even if they look a little bit hokey up close. I, I think you can do a lot with light. Yeah, you know, And, you know, light is to visuals what Bob Bezrin is to audio. Sorry, I had to do that. Um, <laughs> you, you know, with, with shadow, with different colors, you can change mood. You can make that yeah. set completely different. Look at the 1976 stage and the kind of the mm-hmm. textures present with the walls, which under different lighting circumstances look completely different. I like to see them bring those sorts of elements together more Instead of your suggestion of yeah. having changeovers and you start with 73 to 77, I think sonically, in terms of the material that's being performed, yes, there's no reason not to kind of split the um, show up into acts, mm-hmm. which I hate saying because it relates to symphony, which I despise. <laughs> but, you know, you, you start off with that first act, which would be the 73 to 79 for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of general songs. Yeah, you save a few of the ones for the encores obviously, which would be the Detroit Rock City, the Rock and Roll All Night. Um excuse me. And then you go into, you know, the 1980 so Eric Carr era, to 80 1980 to 90 basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and you do a selection of songs from that era and you have a video going in the background of Eric Carr maybe Don't do holograms. You use a drum track, a piped-in Eric Carr drum track, to perform and have him performing the same thing on the backdrop as the rest of the band. You know, kind of does the rest of the song. So, yeah, handle it that way. Mark St. John's a little bit more difficult to to honor. Maybe a quick memorial. Of him mm-hmm. at the end of that section in memory of the late Mark St. John, blah blah blah, and Eric Carr, you know, so that you mention him, you know, put his mm-hmm. put Mark's mm-hmm. photo up because I I don't see Paul or Gene for that matter doing any stuff from Animalize. It's just mm-hmm. not recognizable enough. I don't see them doing a set that's long enough to cover all of the bases. I just don't mm. see them being able to get through it. I don't think it being right to expect it and prove me wrong. That's, that's, that's a, that's a win if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if not, my expectations are met. My biggest concern with this whole tour situation and something that is contrary to your suggestion of, you know, set changeovers, you know, it, it sounds like it's a no opening act. That, that's a long, that's a long show. So, my biggest concern when it comes to the end of the road is that it's going to be rushed, half-hearted performances that they, they're, they in all appearances, just trying to get off the road as fast as possible. Mm. That there isn't any kind of synergy or dynamics to those performances, <laughs> other than we're showing up in city number 27 tonight. We're going to go out at 9.01. We are off the stage by 10.23. And Action! That's my biggest concern at this stage of their career with how some of the performances uh, seem. I mean, I was reading some reviews of people who went to the recent shows. And, of course, there's always a tremendous um, breadth of Mm -hmm. opinion that some people it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Come on, you are seeing Kiss Live. That's an awesome thing. There are others that pick up on things that they determine to themselves to be a lack of energy, a lack of the band's low energy. I hate that phrase. <laughs> um, that there's no emotion, that it's mechanical, that it's, again, uh, the automatons from Phantom of the Park performing. I mean, what what do you, what do you think on those? I mean, th- those kind of things that I raise.
2: Well, I, I mean... I right away loved the idea of the piping and of Eric Carr for a segment of it because, and I know it can work. I know it can work mainly because of the fact that I have a fantastic video here, a Blu-ray of The Who when they were on tour not long ago. And they do that with uh, John Entwistle. They do a song and they have him on the screen and they have a track of his playing bass from to that actual song and obviously the drummer's playing to a click because they need to line it up right but it's fantastic prior to the show and the audience always loves it because you know you have john back and you can hear that signature bass sound of his and he's on and they have him on the big screen and he's doing all these fantastic bass runs and it can be done they can do the same thing with eric they can put him up on the big screen they can do like overhead shots of him like or from the front where he was drumming and it can be done. So I think that's that's a brilliant idea that could be added to what I was thinking. Obviously, and that would definitely work with it. Um, I can see your concerns with a lot of the stuff that you said, obviously. I mean, a lot of my notes were just stream of thought, too. So keep that in mind, right, when I was thinking about this. But, you know, the whole idea that I had about the no opener was with the intention that I... I kind of was hoping it would be a little bit of a longer show that they were able to break it up like that into acts so that they wouldn't have to do a, like a three-hour straight show. You know what I mean? I always had that in mind that it would not be that much of a marathon for them, that they could use the videos and these kind of things to help give the band suitable rest breaks in between stuff. And, you know, I, I'm I'm not surprised... That you have the concern as well about them maybe taking this like a rushed thing where they are going to go through it really quickly. I mean, they've done it before. People have accused them doing that in 87. Like when you take a look at that uh, Philadelphia show they did for the Crazy Nights show. That was one of the shortest shows I've ever seen them do. Like apparently during that tour, they were doing really shortened sets during that tour. So it's not, it's not like KISS have never done that before, but they've kind of been in, you know, let's hurry up and get off the stage mode. So, but I, you know, I really hope in my heart that knowing that this is going to be it and they're saying goodbye to the fans that have supported them for, you know, coming on to 50 years here, then, you know, maybe they would see it in their heart not to do that. And this is why I was thinking to try to find ways to make the show that much more memorable for the fans, but at the same time, make it somewhat more less complicated for them.
0: Yeah, going through the motions would be the biggest concern. But, you know, after seeing Utopia, they stopped they finished the first set. They're like, "Okay, mm-hmm. we'll be back in 20." Lights come up, people mingle, people talk, "Wow, a great first half of the show," you know, and uh Kiss Kiss could always show a documentary for 20 minutes celebrating the band, you know, saying, "Hey, we'll be back in 20 minutes." We're just going to go, you know. Gene's got to go drop a deuce. Um, we'll, we'll be, you know, other bands yeah. do intermissions in their shows. Um, I I think as part of the end, it all depends on what form the band takes as to whether I would want opening acts. I love the idea of Ace being second up with his solo band if he's not back in kiss why shouldn't he be back on the road with them Mm -hmm. with his own band (laughs) putting on an hour sets um why shouldn't the kulik brothers be first act up you know then you got as much of the kiss you know they're doing it for the cruise but would there be the money would it be possible with with um You know, Bruce's obligations to Grand Funk, Bob's obligations to what he's working on, and obviously he's not only a musician, he's a producer and involved in other aspects of the business.
1: Mm -hmm. Ace,
0: would it marry up with what he's doing with E1, releases that are scheduled and whatnot? Could all those pieces fall together, or have they been working on all those scheduling-type issues in advance? It just seems that if if there is no reunion which Mm -hmm. I really don't want at this stage because I wouldn't want it to exclude Peter Mm -hmm. Chris, And I, I just don't like the idea. I think the ship sailed, where I would have liked to see Eric Singer, Gene, Paul, and Ace as a lineup. Didn't do anything in 2001 after the end of that run. So that ship has sailed. I don't want to see them in makeup finishing up with three quarters while peter mm-hmm. sits at home whether by his own decision or a lack of invitation of, you know which would be horrible if he mm-hmm. if he wasn't invited to be a part of yeah. it if he was invited and opted not to or didn't feel he was able to then that's a completely different matter as long as they then go into a studio and film him either doing beth with the band as a mm-hmm. enclosure Uh, coming up with some way for him to be involved without being involved. I don't want to see him disrespected. I don't want to see Tommy disrespected either if Ace rejoins because Tommy's given 15 years of service and, you know, like McDonald's, you move up the food chain within the organization, which he certainly has done. I don't want to see him just cast off like Bruce and Eric were in 1996. So... Why not get these other bands out there? It's one way of dealing with all the kind of politics. Ace can then travel on his own and not have to deal with Gene and Paul on a daily basis. Uh, The Kuuliks are representing that era and that music. And me, who has no clue about all the nightmares that it must be to negotiate, would just be a happy guy in my oblivious uh, ignorance. But you know what?
2: I think that that's another absolutely fantastic idea. I mean, you suggesting that kind of kind of complements the different stages um, idea. Like, I mean, in in terms of the eras, because you have Kiss doing songs from various different eras. You have the Kulick brothers who can focus on the 80s material that they would never touch anymore like like they did when they played on the cruise so that's brilliant so they it's like almost like you're assigning different portions of Kiss's career to different opening acts you give them that 80s stuff you give Ace his era you know like from maybe do some of his solo album material some of some of the songs that he was involved with with Kiss right i mean you could even do obviously some of his release Comet stuff that'd be great you know if he did some of those songs to represent that era too right so i think that's a good idea bringing those kinds of bands in to do it would be absolutely great so uh,
0: indianapolis proved that a lot of this is possible if you think about what um keith and steve and the the crew organized there they had eric singer behind the drums at the beginning of the set and then brent came in and they were switching people out leader ford comes up okay so the Mm -hmm. kulik brothers why can't you get bruce Have Eric come in on drums for a song with Gene for one. Then have Paul come in to do one. And that's your Revenge Era lineup doing songs. Then you have Bob staying there and doing a Paul Stanley solo song. (sighs) You know, and mm, yeah. Todd's there helping out on the vocals, taking off, maybe hitting some of the higher or the areas that, you know, Paul isn't uh, as comfortable doing nowadays. Same goes for Gene. Todd can easily be up there assisting with parts of the vocal textures for Gene to let him have an easier go at it. So you represent that. Then you have the Ace Frehley band. you got Richie Scarlett in the band. So you could do breakout and you could dedicate that mm-hmm. to Eric fucking carr, as always. You can have Paul come out and do uh do a song with Ace. You can have Gene yeah. come out and do Cold Gin or Parasite with Ace. And then those songs don't need to be part of the Kiss set list because you've represented and respected Ace's contributions. You can then do the pure Kiss stuff at the end and Ace is back at the hotel and Bob and Bruce are back at the hotel because they don't need to come out and you do a shorter set with Kiss. It's a more comfortable set but you've represented all areas of the catalog. You know, you don't want Vinny there? Fine. Pipe in a video. You know, put in a guitar solo. You know, just kind of like have him up on screen and the guitar solo plays. Boom, you go straight back into the song and, you know, the solo's been done 1983 style. At the end of the show... You don't have Peter Chris there. You stop everything for a minute and you play a video of Peter doing Beth and Hooligan. Give him an extra song, you know, from the day or something recently recorded. Even better, Mm -hmm. you know, with a message Mm -hmm. from Peter to the fans. It can be done with taste. It can be classy. It can be fun. It can be entertaining. It can be completely unrealistic. But
2: yeah, but you know what? When you were talking about that, I, I was getting excited. Like I'm thinking to myself, this, this. If I went to a show like that. I would be very satisfied with that being the very end of their, you know, touring career, career in general, you know, because that just satisfied all the little things that I wanted to see in a closing show. And it, it is possible. It's just all about organization, And if people are willing to give a little to get more, you know what I mean? And I'm talking about the band members now, you know, like are they willing to maybe, you know, you know, deal with a little extra headache to make this happen. I think it can happen. And I mean, you know, technology is able to make this happen a lot easier than it ever would years ago. And, you know, people, people understand the importance of this band to the fans. So, why not give it at least a shot to do this? I mean, you know, the more we talk about this, I keep thinking in the back of my head that there's no way in hell any of this is going to happen. But man, even a quarter of this were to happen, I think it'd be a fantastic show. And I think people would love it. And people would pay extra knowing that they would get this kind of extra value for money if they're getting all these kind of different performances. Like you said, with people jumping up with other people, you know, during their sets, you know, with the Kulick brothers and Ace Solo and, I think, I think people would make it, you know, worth kisses while. Let's put it that way, to do it if they were to play a smaller venue to make this kind of thing happen. Because I, I think that the days of Tiger Stadium and that are over. No matter what kind of a farewell tour they
0: say this is you know that was going to be something that i mentioned i don't see 96 happening again in terms of the scale and the response i don't see 2001 happening again because of the scale and response i i, I don't know how much value um having ace's band or the Kulik brother bands will add to the general public but i do th- over then it being the final kiss you know mm-hmm. one last kiss before good night whatever But I do see them being involved, bringing in a lot of disaffected members of the KISS Army for one last hurrah. I mean, how... It's just I don't have the visibility into the maybe the business planning that goes into considering what the expectations are in terms of audience numbers for a final run. Is the name, this is Kiss, this is the end, going to have any more power when people may immediately say, well, didn't they say goodbye five times before? That has been an ongoing (laughs) recurrent theme that people have this impression that Kiss has done multiple farewell tours. No, they haven't. We know that. But the Mm -hmm. general Joe on the road, you know… May feel that you know it oh well, we already said goodbye, you know we saw kiss yeah. already, you know, kiss has been in makeup on the since nineteen ninety six so it it's not like the original you know ten year run it's been twenty two yeah. years since the reunion, and just about everyone who probably wants to see the band has seen them at this point, so if they have to if they're not interested or unable to work with those sorts of bands that I suggested what would you want in a opening act and do you need an opening act that brings more punters in so that kiss can say farewell that's the probably the most worrisome thing to me is that they do need to partner up in what appears to be almost a co-headlining situation to say goodbye i would rather than they do what you have suggested smaller venues make it more mm. intimate which probably means it becomes horrendously more expensive with all the kind of uh, value add-ons that the industry now represents
2: yeah, well, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, and that's why I kind of thought that it might be a good idea to do all all these little extra things in their show because if you're doing something smaller, then you know they're they're gonna want more money per seat for that, right? So, you know, and you don't want to price yourself out of everybody's pockets either, right? You don't want to make it so that people are saying, well, that's way too expensive, I'm not gonna go. So, who would be an ideal band to tour with to, to open? Or even the co-headline. Well, I mean, I, I can't help but think of bands that they've already went with. But I mean, you know, would, would that be as as big a draw And I mean, you know, I mean, Def Leppard. I, I I didn't get a chance to see them when they toured with Def Leppard, and I can imagine that was a, probably a really good tour. I saw them when they went with Motley Crue, and that was a pretty good tour, and that draw drew in a lot of people as well. Um, right now, the only band that's touring right now that I'd love to see. But I can't see that being too good a combination would be – and I've always thought that earlier on in their career it was, but maybe now I don't think so much, is Judas Priest. I think Judas Priest are far too heavy for Kiss, I think. I think it would be almost bringing in two different audiences.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be down with Judas Priest touring with them. um, If it wasn't another band also doing a farewell, say a, a band with more of a cult following – um, saying, you know, this is our final, you know, KISS is going out on the road for their final tour. So we thought it was a good time to say goodbye as well, you know, and bring in those kind of two groups of people. Cheap trick, again, you know, just remains to be, uh, kind of a party good, good band. But then again, I don't know if you want a band from the same era that has some of the similar issues in terms of sound and musicianship, though they, they still hold up vocally. So, Mm. what really complements... I I have a really difficult time thinking of a band that I would actually now want. You know, I know we've discussed this topic many times. It it comes up. It's just the way it goes. And I know I've suggested things before, but I really don't see anything that I would want out there other than something Kiss-related as an opening act, just to bring as many of the Kiss fans back together as possible. You know, for the final. I, I almost wouldn't want fans of, say, a Cheap Trick who aren't necessarily Kiss fans to be there. It, it it's yeah. it's almost like a like a wake in some ways <laughs> it's it's a celebration you know the end is nigh so you're saying yeah. goodbye i mean you you can't get over some of the more kind of morbid aspects of that farewell so mm. do you want to be celebrating having people going nuts cause cheap tricks doing their happy songs? And, uh, <laughs> then, you know, kisses coming out to say goodbye and maybe is a little bit slower on stage than you you remember them a little bit gruffer than you remember them and whatnot.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the only other band that kind of jumped into my head too, but I don't know really what these guys would do in terms of a draw, probably not too much, but, I know that Slaughter have been playing a, around a lot, but they seem more like a like a festival uh, sort of like fest. They only like, seem like a festival band. I don't think that they they really tour very much on their own. I don't think, or certainly not enough. I don't think to maybe add enough people on a Kiss tour. Do you think?
0: Slaughter Slaughter's a great pick. I mean. <sighs> Fun. They've toured with them before as well. I mean, but are they interested mm. in, in going out on that sort of run? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they do like they did in the 80s. Have, you know, look at 87. You start off with White Lion, then you moved on to Anthrax. You had Ted mm. Nugent. I don't want any of those bands, by the way. I'm just mentioning them <laughs> because of the example. The last yeah. thing I ever want to do is see Ted Nugent again. But, uh, you yeah. <laughs> I'll listen. I'll listen to his greatest hits. I, his he's got too much energy still for an old man. Jesus, <laughs> that's <laughs> sick. And you don't want to compare someone who's older than Gene with Gene standing still on stage. But you know, break it up. You know, so for the first month of the tour, you get Slaughter. Second month of the tour, you get Cinderella. You know, maybe. Yeah, you know, and they're going. Maybe get They're a going band for like, three years, right? Yeah. If, if it's going to be that long, break it up. And then if maybe do it by regional areas because certain bands are more popular in certain areas. So when you get to England, you get that band who maybe will help you, you know, get to yeah. Germany, and the arts, God. But, you know, Ramstein, whatever, you know, and, yeah. and wh- whomever. But I'd still rather just see Kiss Family.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I, and I think that that makes more sense mainly from the point of view that KISS fans will know them more rather than pulling out a band that nobody has any clue of. Like when I saw them on the reunion tour in 96, they had Degeneration open and I had never heard of them prior to that show. So to me, it was kind of like a, you know, one's KISS going on kind of thing. Right. And that's the problem with those kind of bands. I mean, sure, they could be a, a fantastic band and have lots of fans and stuff like that. So I had no reason to to badmouth them, but it's just they had no connection to me through Kiss, right? That's why I think like bands like Slaughter make sense, or the bands that have toured with them before, because you you know about them and you heard them talk about Kiss, or you know they have a they have a love of Kiss as well, so it shows in their playing and what their background is, right? So, um, yeah, I have a really difficult time thinking of any band that would suit them on a tour like this that's why i can't help but constantly refer back to my make the show smaller idea put it in a theater rather than a big arena or ice rink or something like that to just make it more personalized for the thing that people come there to see they their people are mainly going there to see kiss Mm -hmm. and they want to see their you know and they want to listen to their history their their popular songs they want to, you know, and the, I think the video thing would be definitely helpful. Like all those great ideas you brought up would definitely help to make the show more special than just another tour that Kiss is going out to do. Because that that's originally what spawned this idea was to me, okay, they're announcing a 2019 tour. What's this tour any different than any other one they did besides the fact that they're saying that they're wrapping it up now with this one?
0: Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, you have to say that like Nigel from Spinal Tap. Yeah, but this one goes to the end.
2: <laughs> it, goes, yeah, yeah. it goes way
0: <laughs> past eleven, straight to the end. You know, maybe maybe they should have locked in Greta Van Fleet, and that really pissed me, a lot of people off who thinks that they're, – But they're a hot young band with a lot of yeah. you know attention. Uh, Who could be thrown into an opening slot for an hour set quite easily? So I don't know. I want to get on to just another quick, a couple of quick topics. You know, we'll we'll be talking more about the end of the road, maybe as more as is known, or perhaps more as it's not known, because it just gives (laughs) us a a chance to rethink these things off the cuff every week, and that's what being a Kiss fan is to me—just the what ifs. It's always cool. But there's a couple of threads on the FAQ message board. I want to get your take on. Uh, The first one is, what sinks Destroyer Resurrected for me? I saw that one the other day, and that, of course, is the Resurrected version uh, remix and remaster of Destroyer that Bob Ezrin did a few years ago. Actually, it's a long time ago now. 2012, was it? Um, And I I thought about that. Then I tried to think, when's the last time I actually listened to Destroyer Resurrected? I don't think I've listened to it in years. I know I got rid of my CDs of it because I just had no no reason to listen to it. I, I found it sounds too different from the version I've listened to for decades. It didn't feel comfortable. I loved it hearing parts of it where he brought things up in the mix that we hadn't necessarily noticed previously. I did not like the things that were changed. I still don't. Uh, I find them awkward because they're different. They're like exclamation. They're like getting stepped someone stamps on your foot mm-hmm. because yes. they just shouldn't be there. It draws attention to something that, uh, again, my brain just works. So, you know, what sinks it is that it's not the original Destroyer that I've listened to all these years. It's not that I don't like it. I think it's a great thing. i love them to do it with different albums, but they wouldn't. I don't think they would ever replace the albums were they to do that with The Elder. Well, maybe actually that one might because it might actually make sense. All of a sudden, it would be like, boom! Okay, <laughs> that's what I've been missing yeah. all these. Oh, you know, so the elder obviously yeah. might, might or might not. Crazy nights would be a great one to do as well. Um, but it would never. I don't see it replacing what I've become so used to listening. So that's my problem. Destroyer resurrected. Do you even own it?
2: Yeah, I I do actually because. When, when around that time when it was being done i was uh in my i was in another band before called reckon was one and the guy who was singing in the band at that time he was taking a course in uh in nimbus in vancouver and we all know that mr bob ezren is one of the main guys who runs that around around uh, along with Gagareth richardson and uh so I that's actually where I met up with Bob, you know, a couple times and met up with Garth Richardson. Garth Garth is a great guy, big Leaf fan. And uh, when he was talking about um, this record, that was very hush hush at that time because he had he had there had been rumor about him doing it on the campus for a long time. A lot of the students kind of had an in on it that he was going to be doing that long before it broke, right? And uh, the guy who I was doing my band with, uh, he was good friends with Bob, and Bob even told him that he had on his desk sitting there at that time a bunch of hard drives with the Destroyer multi-tracks on there. So, yeah, I would, I was like, hmm, I could actually take those and get rid of them and be done with Destroyer. No, I wasn't going to do that. But, you know, that, that's, that's one of those things where he's like, wow, you know, they had that right there. And just the thought of having something like that so close to you would be fantastic. I mean, so when it was done, I wanted to hear it. You know, curiosity obviously. I wanted to hear the difference between the one that everyone's used to and what you know came out. And it's a, it was. I had the same experience like you had, Julian. I put the record on, and I remember distinctly that I was doing a few things. At my desk maybe preparing something and whenever something odd would come up that was not on the original i'd kind of did like the old like what what the hell what was that like like beth for example when they did that extra uh-huh that they added back in to that part in there that was only in once that now occurred suddenly earlier in the song i was like wait a minute what the hell like it almost seemed like the song was shorter but then i realized no it's not shorter They just added that part in now and we have it twice instead of once. So it's all these little differences. Like at first when I heard it, the new mix of it was obviously much brighter and the guitars are more present and the drums were bigger. And so there were a lot of things in there that were different. But the first thing that kind of really kind of made me go, ooh, at first, and it was also because I listened to it on headphones, unfortunately, this first time, was that car crash in – Detroit Rock City, that glass was like, oh my god, like I don't know what they did, but it was so sharp sounding on headphone. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Like, I, I, And it, it just goes back to what you said. I was so used to the original version of this album that when things like that happened, they were really a shock, kind of.
0: Yeah. Okay, uh, that that's a good one. I did just remember another band that would be good as an opening act. <clears throat> L.A. Guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, I'm I'm still waiting for the girl reunion. Okay, Um, (laughs) another quick topic before we wrap this show up. Um, I Still Love You, the Creatures version or Unplugged. I voted easily. It took me a second. Unplugged, one of the greatest, greatest, greatest Paul Stanley vocal performances was on that Unplugged album, as great as the the studio version is on Creatures. And, you know, this is like... Gold standard against gold standard. Very kind of tough to do, but just because of the live version makes Paul's vocal even more impressive. I don't know how many takes it took him in the studio for the Creatures version. It's irrelevant, actually. Whether it was comped out of a single take or comped out of multiples does not matter. But the Unplugged, there's just something so special about that performance. It's so tastefully done uh, musically, executed amazingly unplugged all the way. I'm going to listen to unplug. I'm actually going to listen to unplug today as a result of that thread on the FAQ. What about you?
2: Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, <clears throat> I think that the version that's on creatures is very good. In fact, I think that version is like a total dictionary example of what a power ballad should sound like. I mean, it has all the power in it, but yet keeps its valid, you know, format in it. So I think that's a very, excellent uh, version of that song but you know the unplugged one has that much more emotion to it it's difficult to keep that kind of an emotion in a studio when you're in a little room with headphones on and somebody's coming back and say okay one more time we didn't hit that part quite right let's go back and do that and you know after a while you're kind of like oh shit again this line you know and then you start losing a bit of the emotion but when when he did it live you can tell he was in a zone he was just like locked in he was singing it, and when he did those little improv lines in it that he added to it, they were so spot-on perfect. You could tell. He, he probably couldn't recreate that performance again, even if he tried, because it's one of those moments in time that everything connected for him, and it sounds fantastic. So I agree with you. There's no version of that song that's better than the MTV Unplugged.
0: Oh, it was absolute genius. I mean... They, they, Also up there with that song is Every Time I Look at You, because he absolutely nailed that. And then, if I recall, he uh, said, we're going to do this again. Why? Because I like it, you know, Yeah. (laughs) something to to that effect. And that really was he didn't need a second take on that to my ears. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, just absolutely amazing how great Paul Stanley's voice has been how much i'm going to enjoy it for the rest of my days how little things little moments like this a simple innocuous question on the faq about whether you like a creature's version or an unplugged one just makes you kind of giddy because you remember all the great things throughout history you you think of the things that take you back to seeing the expression on the artist's face when he kills a song like that and knows it and you just see you, you know paul paul is paul he, he definitely has very high standards, but while there may be a little bit of a smug glint, it's totally earned when he does something like that. So that, that's the stuff I love.
2: Well, yeah, and you know what? If there's one thing that the MTV Unplugged thing did and cemented for KISS forever is that it proved once and for all that KISS are good songwriters because if you can, if you can translate your material onto acoustic like that and perform it as good as they did then that just shows how good the songs are in general, because I believe in that theory. If you can't play your song on an acoustic guitar and just sing it, it's not a good song, you know? And they proved that once and for all with those songs on MTV Unplugged.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, the vast majority of Kiss songs started out life on acoustic anyway, so they should certainly be able to take them back to their original seed and perform them. No. I, yeah. I I do the majority of my writing on an acoustic just because it's about. It's about tempos. It's about chord progressions. It's, that's where my shit comes from. Yeah. And shit probably being the operative <laughs> word for my stuff, but, uh, you know, art, art is Too art. Too hard on yourself. No, art is art. I do it for self entertainment, not, uh, not to share with anyone. I share it with myself and the neighbors. And, uh, that's as much sharing as I need to do in my music. All right. I had another topic, but you know, let's leave that one for another day because this is a, a nice, concise episode. So I guess for now, You know, what are your opinions on the topics that we've discussed today? You know, join us on the FAQ or on Facebook or wherever you listen to the show and do let us know. If you're watching on YouTube or anywhere, do press like and subscribe to our channel so that you get updates of when we do new episodes. We don't always stick to the same day every week. We put them up whenever, and you'll find out first if you're a subscriber. And we do also appreciate your support by leaving reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. You know? chime in on the conversation. Let us know that you think we're wrong because it's all about opinion. This is Mm -hmm. not about facts. This is what we think and feel at the moment that we're talking about it, but we do like to have conversations and discussions and hear everyone else's viewpoints. So I guess for now, from Mark and myself and our two missing participants who we'll see soon, thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds.